Section 84 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by John Greenman. Chapter 4. Nothing is hidden and nothing is lost. It was time that Gilead killed the octopus. He was almost strangled. His right arm and his body were violet in hue. More than two hundred swellings were outlined upon them. The blood spurted from some of them here and there. The remedy for these wounds is salt water. Gilead plunged into it. At the same time he rubbed himself with the palm of his hand. The swellings subsided under this friction. As he retreated and plunged more deeply into the water, he had, without perceiving it, approached a sort of vault already noticed by him, near the crevice where he had been harpooned by the octopus. This vault extended obliquely and above water, beneath the grand walls of the cave. The boulders which had accumulated there had raised the bottom above the level of ordinary tides. This aperture was a tolerably large, flattened arch. A man could enter by stooping. The green light of the submarine grotto penetrated thither and illuminated it faintly. As Gilead was rubbing his swollen skin, he chanced to raise his eyes mechanically. His glance penetrated into this vault. He shuddered. It seemed to him that he saw, at the extremity of that hole, in the gloom, a sort of face, laughing. Gilead was ignorant of the word hallucination, but acquainted with the thing. The mysterious encounters with the improbable, which we call hallucinations, in order to extricate ourselves from the difficulty, exist in nature. Whether as illusions or realities, visions exist. He who has the gift beholds them. Gilead was a dreamer, as we have said. He had the grandeur of being at times a seer like a prophet. One cannot with impunity be a dreamer in solitary places. He thought it might be one of those mirages by which, nocturnal man that he was, he had more than once been deceived. The cavity presented the shape of a lime-kiln with tolerable exactness. It was a low niche, like the handle of a basket, whose abrupt coving gradually contracted to the end of the crypt, where the pebbles, fragments of boulders, and the vault of the rock joined, and where the pocket ended. He entered, and bending his head, directed his steps towards what lay at the bottom. Something was really grinning. It was a death's head. There was not only the skull, there was the skeleton also. A human skeleton was lying in this cave. The glance of a bold man in such encounters desires to know the real state of the case. Gilead cast his eyes around him. He was surrounded by a multitude of crabs. This multitude moved not. It had the aspect which a dead anthill would present. All these crabs were inert. They were empty shells. These groups, scattered here and there, formed shapeless constellations on the pavement of stone which encumbered the vault. Gilead had walked over them without seeing them, his eyes being fixed elsewhere. At the extremity of the crypt, which Gilead had reached, they were still thicker. It was a motionless bristling of antennae, legs, mandibles. 
open claws stood stark upright and closed no more their bony shells no longer stirred beneath their crust of spines some were turned over and showed their livid cavities this pile resembled an affray of besiegers and lay massed together like a thicket beneath this heap lay the skeleton beneath this confusion of tentacles and scales the cranium was visible with its sutures the vertebrae the thigh bones the shin bones the long jointed fingers with their nails the cavity of the ribs was full of crabs some heart had once beaten there marine moulds draped the eye sockets limpets had left their slime in the nostrils moreover there was in this nook of the rocks neither seaweeds nor grasses nor a breath of air no movement the teeth grinned the disturbing point about laughter is the mocking imitation of it which the skull makes this marvelous palace of the abyss inlaid and encrusted with all the gems of the sea had ended by revealing itself and telling its secret it was a lair the octopus dwelt there and it was a tomb a man lay there the spectral immobility of the skeleton and the creatures around it oscillated vaguely by reason of the reflection of the subterranean waters which trembled over this petrifaction the crabs a frightful confused mass appeared as if in the act of finishing their repast these shells seemed to be eating this carcass nothing could be more strange than this dead vermin on this dead prey somber continuations of death Liliad had before his eyes the larder of the octopus melancholy vision wherein the profound horror of things allowed itself to be caught in the very act the crabs had devoured the man the octopus had devoured the crabs there was not a vestige of clothing near the corpse he must have been seized naked gilliatt attentive and scrutinizing began to remove the crabs from the man who was this man the body had been admirably dissected one would have pronounced it an anatomical preparation all the flesh had been removed not a muscle remained not a bone was lacking had gilliatt belonged to the profession he might have authenticated the fact the denuded periosteums were white polished and rubbed up as it were they would have been like ivory had it not been for some greenish patches of seaweed the cartilaginous partitions were delicately smoothed down and spared the tomb sometimes produces such sinister jeweler's work as this the corpse was interred as it were beneath the dead crabs gilliatt disinterred it all at once he bent over hastily he had just caught sight of a sort of band around the vertebral column it was a leather belt which had evidently been buckled round the man's abdomen when he had been alive the leather was mildewed the buckle was rusted gilliatt drew the belt towards him the vertebrae resisted and he was obliged to break them in order to obtain it the belt was intact a crust of limpets had begun to form upon it he fingered it and felt a hard object square in form in the interior such a thing as undoing the buckle 
was not to be thought of, he split the leather with his knife. The belt contained a small iron box and a few gold pieces. Gilliatt counted twenty guineas. The iron box was a sailor's old tobacco box, which opened with a string. It was much rusted and very securely closed. The spring, completely oxidized, no longer worked. His knife once more extricated Gilliatt from his dilemma. A thrust from the point of the blade caused the cover of the box to fly off. The box opened. There was nothing in it but paper. A little package of very thin sheets, folded in four, covered the bottom of the box. They were damp, but not spoiled. The box, hermetically sealed, had preserved them. Gilliatt unfolded them. They were three banknotes for a thousand pounds sterling each, making altogether seventy-five thousand francs. Gilliatt folded them up again, replaced them in the box, took advantage of the small space which remained to add the twenty guineas, and closed the box again as well as he could. Then he began an examination of the belt. The leather, originally glazed on the outside, was rough on the interior. On that unfinished background some letters were traced in thick ink. Gilliatt deciphered these letters. Sieur Clubin. End of chapter 4. Nothing is hidden and nothing is lost.